Hello, and welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we tell the stories of local business owners and Maine residents and learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, their challenges, successes, and more. My name is Kimberly Regalinski. And I'm Todd Regalinski. And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a local magazine that helps showcase local businesses to people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you could subscribe to on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can learn more about Keep It Local Maine at keepitlocalmaine.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram through the links in the show notes. In this episode, we will be talking to author Anna Crowley Redding. Before diving into the deep end of writing for children, Anna Crowley Redding's first career was as an Emmy Award-winning investigative television reporter and journalist. The recipient of multiple Edward R. Murrow Awards and recognized by the Associated Press for her reporting, Anna now focuses her stealthy detective skills on digging up great stories for young readers, which, as it turns out, is her true passion. Anna is the author of four published books and has five more on the way. Her first book, Google It, was named the best STEM book of 2019 by the National Science Teacher Association. She currently lives outside Portland, Maine. Welcome to the show, Anna. Yes, Thank welcome. you for having me. Thank you. What a nice intro. We're so glad to, to have you here. We're so excited because we feel so privileged. We have our first author. Yes. Hey. <laughs> I'm so glad to be the first. <laughs> don't worry, Kim. I won't mention that you don't read that much. <laughs> That's okay. Listen, It'll that be our little good. secret. Maybe we'll convince you. Yes. I Actually, just looking at the book, I'm so excited because it's. I know my daughter's going to love this. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I can't wait to get it for her. The, the um, artwork is, is yeah, really it, the cool. The artwork, yeah, just amazing. I, it's, it, Vita Lane did such an awesome job, and she's um, in Dover, New Hampshire. And so she's not that far away. And just the way that she pulled all the texture and her color palette she chose for the book um, was a huge part in the storytelling, which was so cool, I thought. That is so great. Yeah, it just just that just encaptures you right from the beginning. Yeah, you know? right, right from the cover. As soon as I saw the cover, I was like, I kind of want to read this. Yeah, it's <laughs> super, super exciting. So I wanted to ask you, Anna, how did you go from reporting to writing? Well, um, there's a lot of writing in reporting. And so, you know, it was actually very helpful for this process because when I was a reporter, I was writing on deadline every day. You know, you mm -hmm. have to have something written, mm -hmm. shot and edited at five o'clock or it's going to be dead air. And mm -hmm. you learn to kind of um, internalize that pressure. And mm -hmm. so with writing books, it's totally different. Like the sky's the limit, take all the time you need. But if you get into that zone too much, you'll never complete a project. So yeah. writing for reporting on deadline has really helped me in terms mm -hmm. of writing for kids. But I, um, when I was a reporter, uh, I was a reporter in Charlotte, North Carolina at my last stop, because you know, TV careers, you like bounce all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I was working all the time and actually saved my last schedule so I could look at it and remember, don't ever go back. Don't ever go back. Cause it was <laughs> so just all, go, go, go all the time. Mm -hmm. So eventually I had my two um, little boys 
and um, just decided, you know, I, I want to go in a different direction. And so I was taking my little guys to the library one day and I said, you know, you can do anything you want. Just follow your dreams. And, you know, one of those rah-rah speeches that we give our kids. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know what, there's a dream that you have not followed, Hannah. Mm-hmm. And that was a dream that I'd had since I was a little girl. And that was to write for kids. And I was like, you know mm-hmm. what, even though you kind of get into this mode when you're a parent where you're like, okay, it's all about my kids now. I've lived my life. And what you don't realize is, is there, you're still young. You still have a lot to do and a lot to say. And so I really mm-hmm. started studying the craft of writing for children, which is mm-hmm. different in a lot of ways than writing for television. And at mm-hmm. first, it felt like I was at the bottom of Mount Everest and ha- having to climb. But step by step, you know, I made progress and eventually got there. That's amazing. I just got goosebumps as you were talking. I was like, I just love that. Just mm. just that whole, you know, we we people tend to give up on their dreams. They think, oh, I, you know, this is a time in my life. And it's, it's, you know, now that I've had kids, I, I really can't pursue that dream. But it's just so it's so great to hear you say that, you know, so that you, you that it doesn't matter how late it is, you still have that you have that time to really move forward and and follow that. And it doesn't matter. And one of the greatest things about this journey for me personally is sharing it with my children who are now Mm. in third grade and sixth grade and my partner's children who are in 10th grade and seventh grade and Mm. being able to share this experience with them, um, being able to take them into a bookstore when they're open and we're not in a pandemic um, Mm. and let them see, you know, there, it's there on the shelf. And I think that in children, writing for children specifically, we see a lot of um, teachers who are retired and say, you know, I've always wanted to write for children and they get started. I've seen people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s publish their very first book. And that is so exciting to me. It's inspiring. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, that is that is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, so I think you've kind of answered the question I had next, which was, uh, you know, the specific reason that you wanted to write for children and young adults. But is there, do you feel there's still motivated on that? Do you, feel, do you still feel that's what you want to do for the foreseeable future? Or do you think, eh, you know what, maybe I'd, I'd like to write something that's, you know, either young adult then heading into maybe kind of a, more adult novels or, or is, or do you, do you just really have a passion for this that you don't see going away? I have a passion for writing, period, I think, and mm-hmm. um, not just writing for the sake of it, but writing for the sake of inspiring the reader. And so I write from you know three years old all the way through teen for now. And that's not to say that I don't have ideas for the adult audience as well. But one of the things that I love writing about, one of the books that I wrote was about Elon Musk. And this was mm-hmm. a young adult uh, biography. And Elon Musk, of course, is the CEO of Tesla, and um, the CEO and founder of SpaceX, sending all these amazing rockets into space. And one of the things that moved me the most about Elon was learning that when he was a little boy, that he was horribly bullied. I mean, there was a group of kids who hunted him down. He was the smallest kid in class. They hunted him down, and they kicked him down a flight of concrete steps and knocked him unconscious. He was in the hospital. And um, he really sort of found his sanctuary in books, in comic books, in sci-fi, in acquiring knowledge. Mm -hmm. Eventually, he shot up beyond six feet and punched the bullies in the face. And that was the end of that. (laughs) But... (laughs) 
<laughs> but one of the things that struck me about that is that so often we see people who we say are successful or important or whatever they are, and you don't realize that this is a human being and this human being had a terrible time. And what was it that got them through that terrible time? Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. Elon, it was his dreams. I'm going to change mm-hmm. the world. I recognize the world is at risk of climate change, that we need to be a multi-planetary species, et cetera. And he, that drove him out of that dark period and into mm-hmm. what he's doing now. That mm-hmm. kind of passion, whether it's about protecting your soup or saving the planet, I love that. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to me. And I guess I want kids and young people to read it and to get as excited about the world we're living in as I am. Mm, yeah. That's great. I yeah. love that. So how did you come across the story for this book? Like, How did that, how did that come to? I still read... Um, I read newsletters all the time. I read the wires all the time. It's like a bad habit. I can't catch. <laughs> when I Once really a news junkie, always a news I, it's junkie. It's terrible. Sometimes to calm myself down, I actually listen to the scanner. It, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I was reading this newsletter from the New England Historical Society, and I it just brought me back to when I was a kid and I had gone out to eat as a special treat out to to lunch at like a white tablecloth restaurant and ordered chowder and they delivered like this red soup. And I remember being horrified and bursting into tears. And so reading that there was this main state lawmaker that wanted to try to make it illegal to put tomatoes in clam chowder, I was dying. I just was (laughs) dying laughing because I related to it at that kid level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I just want to read the description uh, of your, your newest book, which is called Chowder Rules, the true story of an epic food fight, which oh, I'm, I'm envious of the title. Forget, forget the book itself. I see that title. I'm like, oh, man, come on. Todd's a writer, too. Uh, so so the, the description is, what kind of fearsome food fight could draw in baseball great Joe DiMaggio? A fight over chowder. It all started with a Maine lawmaker who adored his beloved steamy, creamy, dreamy clam chowder. News that Manhattanites were plunking tomatoes into the chowder pot had representative Cleveland Sleeper. Of, they don't make names like that. They anymore, really by don't. The way. I know. I swear it's true. <laughs> Seeing red, not his favorite soup, so he proposed a bill to make it a crime to add tomatoes to clam chowder. New Yorkers were offended. A war of words raged until finally a duel of chefs settled the matter once and for all. I mean, that is that is a awesome. great story. It's one of those things where you don't you're like that. No, that couldn't have happened. No, it actually did. <laughs> it did. It did. And it was like all the research I did into this story, like every little piece of of new information was like more outrageous than the last. Like one of the judges was the lady that invented chocolate chip cookies who judged what? the like cook off. Yes. And I was just dying. And then the Joe DiMaggio that he got himself, he like debated Cleveland Sleeper on the radio. And people were listening across the country. And you know what? I never would have thought of Joe DiMaggio as one of the great debaters of our times, but maybe I'm wrong. I, he I was a to tomato lover. A tomato uh, lover. <laughs> that's, now I see the entry point. Yeah. <laughs> Joe also had a stake in a tomato farm somewhere along the way. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, he had a restaurant that served Manhattan clam chowder. And uh, New York Public Library actually still has a copy of the menu. And I was just dying. I was like, oh my God. You can't make it up. 
Yeah, it's so awesome. That's wonderful. Oh man, I love I love stories like that. Yeah. So, do you have a writing process? Is it kind of the same with every book, or does it vary a little bit? It varies. I, you know, what the, the most important part, and children's writers say this all the time, is butt in the chair. So that means I can mm. be daydreaming about stories or staring off into space, but at the end of the day, I need to sit my rear end into a chair and put my fingers on the computer and actually put words on the page. And so making myself do that and giving myself permission to write a sloppy first draft. Once I get past that, then for me, the really fun part starts, which is playing with word choice and pacing and tension and all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Where is the fun for you in the process? Because I, I imagine there has to be some sort of joy or some sort of fun in some part of the process. Is it, is it in at the actual, like, I spent this much time writing and I enjoy, I enjoy that? Or is it in the kind of the the discovery of the story or the research? or I love two parts of it the very best. The research, I love digging into it. I love, I lo- it's like being on a treasure hunt for me. That's what mm-hmm. it feels like. Um, or a scavenger hunt and you found all the things. I love that because as a kid, I could never find all the things in the scavenger hunt. So, mm-hmm. but I just love digging and digging and digging through records, old newspapers, whatever it is. And um, so that part of it is super fun. And then I love word construction. And so um, being able to write, for example, in this book that, you know, that a bite of this soup was the state of Maine in a single bite. I was so excited Mm. when I wrote that sentence. (laughs) So sometimes it's just the way words come together. And that's in the revision process. It's not like the first draft comes out like that. But in the revision process, when you're playing around with the language and picking different descriptive words or vocabulary words that you just love. And um, in this case, using a lot of language Mm -hmm. about food, saying that, you know, the cook-off tickets to the cook-off sold like hotcakes. You're just having fun with that. I really Mm -hmm. enjoy that. That's That's great. And uh, another, I'm sorry, I'm to Kim, I'm kind of monopolizing here. I'm coming up with with questions as we go. So, so kind of, could you kind of tell us what the process is like working with an illustrator on, on a children's book? Yeah. Like how does, how does that whole process go? So it's a really different, um, for fiction and nonfiction. Um, typically in children's books, the author writes the words and that all is, um, goes to the editor on the project at the publisher. And then there's also an art director at the publisher who um, deals directly with the illustrator. And usually in that process, the illustrator and the author have minimal communication. It all goes through these channels. With nonfiction, it's way more collaborative because you are dealing with, in this case, the 1930s. So you have to make sure that historically it's all accurate, what the furniture looked like, what the kitchen looked like, what what, uh, Portland looks like then. So there is more back and forth in terms of sharing the research, mm-hmm. but it, it's you want to be careful as an author because you don't want to undermine the illustrator's creative process because mm-hmm. what they bring to the project with their visual storytelling is so impressive and makes the project so much richer. So it is kind of a balance of offering help and support with the historical details, but trying to stay out of their creative process. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is yes. very rewarding because when you're writing a book, of course, you can see it visually in your mind. 
but professional illustrators bring so much more than I could ever have imagined for any story right. I'm working on. And that part of it is so exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll, I'll so finally let you is, ask your question. What would you, say, <laughs> what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you've faced this year in the season that we're in? I think that, you know, um, as a mom juggling, guiding the children through this process and trying to work at the same time, I know mm. that almost every parent I've spoken to has said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think additionally, doing creative work is difficult because it requires so much of your internal world and you're giving Mm -hmm. so much of that right now just to keep the kids on track and to keep everyone's academic progress moving forward to keep their mental health supported um and all the 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 food we're cooking right now um Mm -hmm. personally uh so it's it's a it's a busy time and so trying to find a new balance in that and um new wells of energy i'm not gonna lie there have been days when it's been very very difficult Mm, yeah yeah, i definitely can relate yeah for sure especially being self-employed and being a business owner it's it's juggling those things trying to find a new kind of a new way to live and a new way to do business too. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, without having story times, you know, where you see kids in person when you're reading to them is is one of the joys of doing yeah. this. Um, mm. But you know, um, I have found now doing virtual events that the kids can participate in polls and other things. It just took a while to figure out what does this look like. Right. Using technology and sort of making a radical pivot to mm. um, try to embrace what's happening mm-hmm. uh, instead of bemoaning that that it is happening, and that that was yeah. that was hard. That that took some work and some support from my partner, who's been awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, do you have a favorite author or authors? And uh, and do you have like a book that you would say like in the last just say year that you've read that's like I think more people should read this book. I love um, everything that Kate Quinn writes. She writes um, for adults historic fiction, but her research is unbelievable. The Alice Network, um, and she's written uh, that's about um, female spies in World War One and World War Two. And her oh. her author notes at the end of these books are so extraordinary. It's kind of a treat to to get to the end to read her author notes to see who the characters were based on, how she did her research and all of that. I just think they're amazing. Um, I have always loved um, PJ Woodhouse for uh, his use of language and English writer. He did uh, the Birdie and Worcester series that Hugh, the actor Hugh Laurie um, brought to life in the, I think in the eighties, late eighties. But I love those writers. And then in terms of children's books, right now, there are so many incredible children's books that are coming out that really, we have a diversity of, of voices and topics. And one of my favorites is called I Am Enough. And it is about that while I may be different from you and you may be different from me, we have something to offer each other. And I am enough. Mm. And mm. I just, I think that message is so powerful, um, not mm. only for children, mm. but for adults too. And especially right now, I feel like mm. when we are so hard on ourselves of, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I'm not mm-hmm. being productive at my normal level. You know, just reinforcing mm. constantly that message. I am enough is yeah. really helpful right now. Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. sure. So how, 
how do you define success in, in business or in life? Um, how do you define that? I kind of break that down. Um, number <laughs> one, is there food on the table? Mm. Um, yes. So th- that's a win. I think, too, that the next part of it for me is, did I enjoy the day's work? You know, I love working hard, whatever it is, but but did I enjoy the day's work? And that, for mm-hmm. me, honestly, is success. I think that having that ability to do something that you feel passionate about, mm-hmm. that um, you aren't dreading every minute of the day is really a gift and a privilege, and I really appreciate it. That is huge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To actually wake up and be like, I get to do this. Yes. You know, and I, I, I get to do this, and, I, and it actually brings you joy. It's, I love that. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Yes. And that's not to say it's sunshine and roses every single exactly. second, but no. the part, the thorns of this particular bush, I can handle. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And actually, just a quick question that I, f- I forgot to ask earlier. Do you have like a daily routine or a daily writing routine or just an overall routine that you feel is is worth sharing? Um, well, there's pre-pandemic. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Good call. Pre-pandemic, you get up, the children are off to school, <laughs> you sit down and work. <laughs> mm. Now it's, um, they have different various schedules. And so some of that's the same, but, but when possible, I try to either get up a little bit early to um, collect my thoughts to start my day and to sort of um, set the course for calm. (laughs) And then in the evenings, I try to see if I can still um, give 30 minutes or 60 minutes more, whether it's responding to emails or social media, that kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily take, you know, like creativity in terms of writing manuscript. It's a different type of um, creativity. It's not quite as taxing for me as writing manuscripts. So I try to preserve the writing the manuscript for the time when mm-hmm. the kids are engaged with their schoolwork. Yeah. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a juggle right now. It's a little bit yeah. of juggle, but I feel like getting used to that. And I'll tell you one thing that has really helped me with that is getting some kind of exercise um, first thing in the morning getting some kind of exercise. Um, it, it, I, I don't feel like I have to post on Instagram that I'm the next Olympian, but just <laughs> like moving my body. Um, yeah. You know, even for 10 minutes um, really helps. That's great. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that is a, a big challenge for, for people who have a job where their, their job means that they have to kind of be in one place and focus for long ish periods of time is, you know, that doesn't lend itself to moving about a whole yeah. lot, <laughs> you know, yeah. and having that, that is, that is a huge thing that, uh, that can easily get left in the dust in, mm-hmm. in these schedules that we're trying yeah. to run right now. Absolutely. Truly. And, and I feel like, you know, you're kind of thinking like, you know what, I can't believe she said that I don't even have five more minutes to, of energy to give to anything. I have found that while it is counterintuitive, that some kind of movement, even a walk around the block mm-hmm. just gives me more juice to accomplish mm-hmm. what I need to accomplish quicker, more efficiently and to do better work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I agree. And I found that myself. Yeah, for sure. Now who or what would you say inspires you? Hmm, that's a hard one. Um, I think what inspires me is this idea when I was um, in journalism school, I went to Northeastern and I decided to take a public policy analysis class because I wanted to understand how government put 
laws together and policy mm-hmm. together. I-, I wanted to understand it for the purpose of being able to figure out where they had blown it. So mm-hmm. I signed up for this course and lo and behold, former governor of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis was teaching the class. And I, and I told him why I was there. I'm, I'm basically taking this class so I can give your fellow politicians a tough time as a reporter. And he found that amusing. And, um, and, and one of the things that I learned from him that has kind of set my course is how important it is to make a meaningful contribution Mm. to the communities around you, um, Mm -hmm. whether that's local, state, national, global, whatever, but how important it is to make a meaningful contribution. I think Mm -hmm. that way of thinking, that way of life has inspired me more than anything else. That's awesome. That's great. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to the last question, could I ask one more question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I know, I because I'm looking at Kim because she's she usually gives me this look like you're messing up the outline. No, it's okay. <laughs> Todd, see, and, and Todd is Todd. This is Todd is actually a writer too. So this is no, he's, he's asking these questions for personal reasons yeah, as I'm well. Taking notes he's as well. taking he's literally taking notes right now because he he is a writer as well. You're not supposed to say that. Well, what are you writing, Todd? Let's talk about you. Oh no no no! We don't need to talk about me right. This is this is. This is we already interviewed ourselves on the first episode of this podcast. <laughs> that way we never have to talk about it again. You can send to the again. manuscript. <laughs> so, yeah, do. What, what advice would you give to, uh, to a writer who is starting out either, either young writers or older mm-hmm. writers or, or whatever? What, what advice would you give about that kind of getting going in it? Well, I want to tell you that the one way to know whether or not you are really and truly a real writer is to believe in your soul that you are not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this sounds I feel very better. familiar, actually. <laughs> so if you are wondering if people are going to discover that you're not really truly a writer, then that's it. You are one. <laughs> <laughs> truly, I think part of it is just accepting this imposter syndrome and learning mm. to live with it. And, um, and, and, and then to recognize the, the bravery of sitting down and writing anyway. That's mm. amazing. That's so powerful. Yeah. That's so powerful. It's so true. I needed to hear that today. Just in reading <laughs> about other writers, okay. that's always kind of the thing. Like, yeah, I always sit there and question whether or not I can do this. I'm like, oh. That's so amazing. Yeah, that's good. great. The first time that our agency, um, which is actually located in Maine, so the literary agency that represents me is located mm-hmm. in Maine. And um, every year, normally, we have a big retreat. Mm-hmm. And in this agency represents some of the biggest authors in the in children's industry. And I was very intimidated. And I went in, and the head of the agency, Aaron Murphy, said, um, hello, everybody. Welcome. And I want you to know that every single one of you mm-hmm. is here because you belong here. And I mm-hmm. literally burst into tears and started mm-hmm. sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh that's amazing yeah it's true that's a beautiful moment it is beautiful it's because i think people just think that that they're yeah they're unworthy and you know that they they don't um so that's amazing yeah it was a great moment yeah yeah 
So we always like to kind of bring it back to Maine and um, and when we kind of wrap this up and this has been so much fun. I just feel like I've learned a lot. Uh, oh, I've this. loved it. It's it's really great. But um, what is your favorite thing, Anna, about Maine or some of your favorite things about Maine? What do you what do you love about Maine? Um, I love the state. I My family is originally from New England, um, but I was born in the South and I lived all over the place. And Maine is my favorite place. I love it. I love the look of it, whether in the woods or by the coast mm. or out on an island or in the mountains. I love it. And I I really love the people. I love how down to earth mm. the people are, how helpful, hardworking. I, it's just an amazing place. And it's something that is never lost on me. I think about it every single day. And I talk to the children about it every day because we, we live in such a special part of the world. And mm. I can say that. I mean, I went to school in Italy. Uh, I also love Italy. Don't get me wrong, but Maine is my number one. Maine is mm. my number one. And I love it here and, awesome. and I'll be here forever. That's great to hear. Yeah. And we, yeah, make sure you, you patch that up with the Italian market. We don't, you don't want to get short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Anna, for taking yes. time out of your day and talking with yes. us. This has been, like Kim said, this has been a, a great conversation. We both both have learned a lot yeah. and really enjoyed this time that we've gotten to spend with you. We'll be sure that we uh, that we put all of the links to your uh, to your social media and as well as your website in the show notes. Also, there'll be uh, links where you can buy Chowder Rules, the the true story of an epic food fight. Get that on Amazon bookshop you can also get signed copies from uh, print a bookstore i believe is is that I'm yes saying that right? yes thank okay. you and uh and i'm actually really excited this is on uh bookshop because that has become one of my favorite places to get books because especially now where yes. you know like you said you can't really go to a bookshop which really is a very big bummer for me but it's also saved me a lot of uh space concerns because yes. otherwise <laughs> I'd be building new shelves, uh, but Bookshop is actually great because it, it they 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 pull from local bookshops all across the country to, to fulfill orders and stuff. So that's that's a real cool that's thing. Great. And it's this is awesome. a great book, great book for the holidays, friends. So this is if you have someone um, buy this book for the holidays, I will be getting it for my daughter. So I'm super excited. Yay! Yeah, so thank th- you. Oh, thank you, Anna. We really appreciate it, and you have a fantastic rest yes, of your day. Thank you so much. 